Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Today's episode is sponsored by my Lit Daily Online Yoga Classes. This is an exclusive pass into my personal practice and program that I created from experience as a physical therapist and 20 years developing my lit yoga methodology. There is a different class with me every day, including special monthly live streams, so you can feel your most lit up anytime and anywhere. Get a three-day free trial today by going to movementbylara.com and clicking daily classes. Let's get moving. Good movement. Welcome to Redefining Yoga, a Movement by Lara podcast, which is designed to investigate all aspects of the modern evolution of yoga from my background as a physical therapist and lover of movement. My mission is to help everyone find freedom through smarter and safer movement patterns so together we can be uplifted, benefiting all beings everywhere. Today's podcast, we're going to talk about a very trendy word that is now kind of in all the worlds, yoga world, runner's world, but it's been in the physical therapy world for quite some time. And I remember learning about this way back in the day, and that is all about the word fascia. Fascia. You might've heard about it. Fascia, fascia. What is it? They are selling fascia blasters and you get all these rollers with medieval looking torturous <laughs> spiky things that are sticking up to um, help release or ungunk or defuzz your fascia. And so I'm just going to talk a little today about fascia in, in, a, in a PT way and, and also in a way um, from just my years of being a movement educator and a, and a physical therapist. First, I will go back to my one of my favorite things I like to do, which is creating an acronym because I think that helps me. <laughs> Maybe it helps you, but it really helps me. It, I could talk for a while about a lot of things um, to do with the body. So having an acronym really helps me stay on, stay on point here. So fascia, it's spelled F-A-S-C-I-A, fascia. Some people say fascia. How's your fascia today? <laughs> but um, anyway, fascia. So F, let's start with that. Fascia is a fibrous connective tissue. 
And I also like to think of it as a kind of fluid, fibrous connective tissue because I want it to feel fluid. I want it to glide on the body. So fascia is connective tissue that is everywhere. I think many people recognize that. It's it's known as being ubiquitous. There's connective tissue. Um, Not all connective tissue is fascia, but fascia is a connective tissue. So connective tissue literally is tissue that is um, joining things together. And there's different things that are considered connective tissue. Tendons are connective tissue, ligaments. Fat is a connective tissue. Bursa is a connective tissue. So not all connective tissue is fascia, but fascia is a connective tissue. And it is a a huge, huge, huge piece of connective tissue that is everywhere. And it runs, you know, between muscles, around muscles, in between muscles, around tendons, in between um, tendons, blood vessels, all all of these things. So the the way connective tissue, just just if you're interested in this, is kind of defined, is based on its its original embryonic origin. So it, there's three basic tissue types in the body. And um, along with the epithelial, the skins and the muscle and the nervous tissue. And the connective tissue that are based on the embryonic origin arise from the mesoderm or one of the germ layers of tissue in the young um, embryos. So that is why it is considered a connective tissue. So in addition to um, tendons and ligaments and other things, like I was saying, the um, connective tissue is also um, fascia. So fascia, the the big difference with fascia is it's running all over the place. And and I've talked about this before, but it used to be that when you would look at a cadaver and you'd see fascia, people, they would just take it off and centrifuge it, which means kind of toss it away so that they can look at the muscles and underlying things under it. So it is um, really wasn't I think looked at and discovered until until recent years, recent meaning in the last 100 years, you know, in, in, in the anatomy world. And so it's, it's, and then of course, in the last, I would say 20 to 30 years, there has been an increase in discussion of it. And now it's a very trendy thing to talk about, which is good because we need to talk about the, the reason that fascia would be important to know about. It is um, everywhere in the body. So that would go with the um, A that I'm about to say. A is that it's attaching everywhere. It's really attaching. And then the S is the supple spider web system. So those three things we'll talk about here. So we've got the fibrous connective tissue. That's the F. The A is the, it's attaching everywhere. And then the S is the supple spider web system. So it is known as like a spider webby thing. Like it has all, it's not necessarily... Like I've used a rice paper uh, as an example of fascia, but even fascia has holes in it um, for vessels to go through. And, 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 and so it's not just like one, it's not just a flat tissue. It can um, envelop other things. It can bind muscles, it can envelop blood vessels, it can um, envelop nerves. So they, the, not, the connective tissue of fascia is typically arranged in some kind of sheet or tube form between and around um, other anatomic structures. 
So the superficial fascia is, is kind of a padding that connects to the dermis skin and then located above the deeper fascia. So there's different layers. So these connections all connect to things and to each other. So a lot of, you know, the, the easiest way to think of it is when you move in your body, it is not just a, a movement that is being done by one muscle group or one particular area even, but that it has some kind of impact on surrounding areas because of these fascial connections. And that's, it, do, it doesn't necessarily mean the muscles are connected, but they could be connected through fascial connections. And then this deep fascia that I was referring to is lying even beneath that superficial and often forms like this connective layer or covering for other structures as well, other mu- you know muscles or blood vessels. And they are uh, different lines of fascia are given different names. I'm not going to go over all those, but just so you you can look up their superficial line, the front superficial line, the back superficial line, the deeper lines. And then there's um, some lines that go laterally and then even across the body. But all of these things are connected. And that's what's really become this kind of curious um, study is that if there, if everything's connected and one part of the fascia is tight or bound or restricted, what is the impact on different accompanying parts since everything is connected? And so very often it's given, it's the sweater analogy and and many people all over have given this, but like you're wearing a sweater and you pull it and you can see that the effect of pulling the sweater in one position or in one direction has an impact on other other parts of the sweater. So this spider webby connection, it's like you, you push on one part of the web and you'll, you'll feel like somewhat of a ripple effect. And that's the idea behind it. Now I'm telling you some of like the general ideas of fascia, but just know People are still, we're still discovering this stuff from a science perspective day by day. And and now people are looking at it a lot more, even because it has become such a kind of popular trendy thing. And there is a lot of unfounded, there are a lot of unfounded claims about fascia out there. And then there's some we just don't know. And then there's some that you can, that are more scientifically proven and then there's some that are just like being being looked at, but might be anecdotally. So anecdotally meaning that they don't have a lot of the science with all the statistics to support it. But from the treatment of a variety of people, it seems that there is some impact when we direct um, some attention to the fascia and this kind of plasticity of the fascia. Like, can we can we manipulate it in some way that it will make us feel better, right? Okay, so so the fi- the fibrous component, let's go back to the F, the, the fibrous component of it, fascia is made of collagen and elastin and then water molecules. And so these are all woven together and the architecture of it, the structure, the matrix of it has been um, compared to this, a crystalline matrix that is super highly organized. And it is strong, stronger than we would think. You know, that fascia has this, if we're talking about spider web 
um, connective tissue, it doesn't seem like, well, that, that it would necessarily be that strong, but in fact, it has a lot of strength to it. So that's where some of the science comes in and says, hmm, fascia might be actually too tough to quote unquote release. And that is something that I don't know. What I can tell you is some of the things I do that I, I feel really help. And I feel like it helps many parts, including the fascia. So I'll get to that. But I just want to tell you, it is a strong fibrous substance. It's strong and it's connected. So A, it has the attachments to everything. And then the S is it has this um, spider web. And I, I would also add suppleness because when fascia is well hydrated, so to speak, I mean, it's not like you'd like take your sprinkler and sprinkle it like, okay, now you're hydrated and you can move. But through, I think, um, consistent, proper low load movement patterns, you will keep this fascia hydrated so that it is, doesn't feel like all crinkly and, and sticky. Um, whether or not that's a medical term or, or a scientifically proven term, I think that I can say from working with many, many people over the years that I can sense and I can feel when uh, something, and I'm going to say it's probably fascia because fascia is everywhere and it does connect to all these muscular attachments and muscular tendinous attachments. When you can feel like this like crinkly, like just dehydrated fascia. And so uh, it is an interesting, just, it's, it's just interesting to keep looking at what, what is coming up. But these are some of the more factual parts. Like the, the, we do know that it is fibrous. We do know that there's, it's everywhere. It's ubiquitous. The attachments are everywhere. And it has this spiderweb-like system. So what else does fa- is fascia known for? So C, um, we know that's connective tissue. That's actually not the C but it's also known to be a communicator. So originally when people started learning about fascia, they looked at it as this just, okay, it's a webbing and it has some um, kind of holding property, you know, connecting connecting things together. And then, then it became known uh, or people studied it more and realized that actually within these con- um, connections, there were there were receptors that were able to communicate what was happening. And what I mean by that is communicate tension, um, communicate sensation. And this is a, was a huge breakthrough, that it wasn't this just like random webbing connection that kind of held you in, but that there was some transference of communication in the nervous system through this fascial network. And this is what's really interesting because maybe we don't get to change, quote unquote, the adaptability or elasticity of the fascia, but perhaps we are somehow working on the nervous system and that's what actually changes the communication and so the, the, the our, how we receive the information is what changes. What I mean by that is it has been shown that um, flexibility, quote unquote, is really, really highly uh, motored by the nervous system. So 
stretching. People ask a lot about stretching. And I will talk another day about stretching. Um, and my, you know, what my my brother John and I have talked about passive stretching. But what the research shows is that you are you're changing more of your your adaptability in your nervous system rather than changing the stretching of the tissue when you're doing a passive stretch. And you can do it even more effectively, I think, and, and the re- a lot of the research does support this as well, through mobilizing the joints and moving the tissues around the joints and maybe holding something for 10, 20, 30 seconds, 45 seconds, something like that. But going into these long holds is not changing those connective tissue. It might change short-term your nervous system's ability to handle and adapt to the, the stretch reflex and that there could be value in that, but it's short-term. <laughs> so if you want to get into long-term adaptability of, of getting more uh, stretch, there's more effective ways than passively stretching. And I'm going to really say it's weight-bearing, loading um, the joints, getting all of this incredible source of energy and current of energy through a weight-bearing area, whether it's your feet or your hands or your forearms, and then using the changes of the, the, the levers, the lever arms, whether it's your hip or knee, with your hands being down, working on flexibility, quote, that way. I have seen enormous changes with people who have never sat with me and held a stretch for more than 30 seconds, but they've done that work. And so that is what's fascinating for me from this fascial perspective is that what I would say is we are working by using um, currents of energy from the floor, which are measurable ground reaction force coming up through the weight-bearing joints. And then that is being communicated, transmitted through bone and bone, by the way, is covered with fascia, you know, bone connection to tendons and muscles is covered with fascia. So the fascia in a way is this tube. It's like this, like the telephone wire, you know, it's communicating all of this um, energy that's coming from ground reaction force. So the point is that that C to me being a communicator could be the most interesting part to to um, work to to be like a laboratory for you know to really investigate like how can we better communicate in our body through these you know um, multiple fascial lines so less about like digging in and releasing the fascia I mean I'm not saying that doesn't have value but I think that the communication could really actually have more value. So we've got two FASC. Letter I, I'm going to say this is an intersection. The intersection is between the science and the voodoo. And I say voodoo like very lightheartedly because, hey, I believe in some of it. So what I'm going to tell you is what the claims that are made 
And, but I always want you to have that critical thinking um, eye and mind to think, well, is this actually the case? So this is, again, the intersection between some science and then some, I guess, claims that are made. Not necessarily voodoo claims, but um, so fascia, some of the intersection. We know that fascia um, can can hold a sense of tension in it for sure. It's very, it's quite rigid. It's not, in, in that way, it would be much, it would be pretty hard to release it because it is, you know, has a sturdiness to it. And the claims that are made are that there is a lot of plasticity, that there is an ability for it to be manipulated, that when it's manipulated, there could be a release, a release. And in that release, there could be an emotional response that the fascia has like a story to it. It's carrying um, all of the kind of emotional baggage or I, I think of like, you know, this being like the anchor being like pulled along the the sea floor <laughs> and all the stuff that comes up with that but it's like you're the anchoring um that's dragging you down so it it's the, the, some of the claims are that you know there's an emotional component to to fascial therapy and that then of course there's the physical component where of you manipulating the fascia to get a release and that within this Physi- there's a physiolo- physiological change so that you would feel, you know, less tension or less pain or discomfort from this mechanical um, deformation, which is what essentially a release would be. Um, and so you, there's a lot of people who believe that. And I'm not saying that it absolutely is the truth or it's, it's absolutely not the truth. I would say that it's important to know the science behind fascia and that it does matter to understand the properties of it. And, but then to have a little bit of this just belief that there could be more, you know, that there could be more indeed, that it doesn't necessarily have to be clinically proven or scientifically proven. Um, because I have seen, and I'm sure many body workers can really. Um, lay down lots of examples of when they have worked on someone and had this person has had a, a real release, emotional, physical release, or all of the above. And it can be in the form of a lot of things. You know, some of the ideas are that you can have this release in the form of crying. You could have it in the form of anger or tension, headaches. You could have. Um, this in the form of feeling like you're going to pass out. I mean, these are physiological responses and we just don't know why they are happening. And the scientist will definitely poo-poo it. <laughs> you know, they'll say that that is it's not, emotions can't be held in tissue. And so my, well, my dad would say this. He's a super bright guy, super scientific. He's a doctor and he, you know, he's like Carl Sagan buff, you know, all this like subatomic particles and string theories. And, and I remember asking him about religion and he'd say, I don't know. I just don't know. There are so many things we don't know. And then he'd go on to launch about like, we are such a small speck in this very large thing. And he would talk about like, these stars that were discovered. And, you know, I would just start like, whoa, drifting off. But 
But I loved what he would say is that he's super science-based and he would, he's not into voodoo stuff at all. But he would say, you know, I just don't know. And I think that's kind of an interesting like line to take because in this world we live in, boy, people love to shout out the the absolute truths they, they hold and believe in and get very belligerent when somebody has a different belief. <laughs> and I would say, I don't know, but anecdotally and certainly the placebo effect is real. So if it feels like it's a great thing for you or somebody that you're dealing with, then know that there could be some real truth to it for you or for anybody. Like we have some well-established ideas of what fascia is. And then there is some of that other stuff we're just not sure about. On the other hand, I would um, be curious about what is really happening. Like not, again, not poo-pooing the voodoo-ish stuff or the like, you know, esoteric things that we don't know that we can't really prove, but also not totally believe in like really think about, for me, the um, I like to do both. And so this, the last part is I'm going to say A is adaptable. And I want fascia to be adaptable, just like I want my nervous system to be adaptable. I want my spirit to be adaptable. I want my brain to be adaptable. And there's this plasticity to that, that we have the ability to change and grow in all the ways. And I think fascia brings up this, literally this kind of blanket of possibility. And it's like a quilt. You know, we have all these different stories about it and we can, we can weave them together. And, and I think it's important to find some adaptability in your beliefs about fascia. And maybe you don't have those yet, but you, you, you'll, you'll hear other people who have strong opinions about them. Um, let's talk a moment about from a, uh, movement perspective, the adaptability that we want. And I'm going to give a couple examples because what we do know is that fascia is adaptable and it has, it doesn't have contractile properties. There are, they've discovered muscle cells within the fascia, but they're not strong enough to elicit muscle contraction on its own, but that it's as a communicator, it can facilitate. But another thing it does is it provides a coiling. And there are strong fascial sheets that really do this well. And one that I've talked about with my brother is around the the plantar fascia. And that is a super, super important part that um, transmits energy from the deep fascia of the sole of the foot and provides this strong mechanical link between the toes and the calcaneus, the heel. And coming up from that, going into the um, the Achilles tendon, the Achilles tendon, which will take this the the plantar fascia, which is so structurally and functionally strong, and bring it up into the Achilles um, fascia, which is you know you know you, most people know what the Achilles tendon is, but super thick and has incredibly thick fascial layers to it. And there is a springboarding, there is an energetic exchange there. And we want that to be really adaptable. 
so that when you push from the floor, we have this strong link from your foot, um, from the plantar fascia there into the Achilles tendon, into the calf. And that is like a current right on up into the hamstrings and glutes. So all of that is is important to um, recognize. And what I will say is when we stick our foot in a shoe for a lot of our lives, you can see the difference in the way the, the bones of the foot lie on somebody who's stuck their foot in a shoe versus somebody who hasn't ever, who, who has lived literally barefoot. And there are huge differences. And those differences lie in that muscular fascial um, connection. The, the, the foot, the primitive foot that's never been in a shoe is strong and muscular and broad. And these fascial connections are also, you know, strong. And there's like such a health to it and adaptability. So we want our foot to be highly adaptable. We have all these different arches there that create um, the sole of our foot. And all of that, the the fascial um, links between those create this um, matrix of mechanical strength. So that's that's an important thing for the adaptability. Another area of that, that I think is, and again, this is in my findings of working with a lot of people, and I've worked with a ton of runners, a ton of athletes who have had anywhere from um, Achilles tendonitis, plantar fasciitis. These are words you probably have heard of. Um, flexor halysis, um, and rigid flexor halysis, which is the the big toe, the rigidity there that happens when you stick it in a shoe too much and it's been bound. And all of that, all of those fascial connections are affected. And, and so there's a variety of things that I've done over the years with people, but the thing that has worked universally with all the people that have had some kind of malady in their foot or in their calves is working on getting the fascia more adaptable. And um, that's you and and in doing that, that's a ner- there's a nervous system part to it. There's a mechanical uh, musculoskeletal part to it. And then there's that connective tissue part to it. So um, I could talk more about fascia. I'm going to talk about one more area of fascia that I have spent time in with uh, many people uh, again, and that is in the back region in that um, thoracodorsal fascia. And it's also known as the thoracolumbar fascia. But this is the fascia of the back that comes from underneath your skull all the way down to the lumbopelvic region. Okay, so that's where the lumbar spine and the pelvis are. And this and the muscles under it and or and wrapped within it form this very very multi-layered myofascial structure um, which is when it's adaptable when it's adaptable there is a lot of great transmission of forces that can happen through the fascia and and when it's not adaptable meaning i there's a mechanical kind of restriction and again this mechanism could be 
from an, an, an anatomical basis or even from this a nervous system, like peripheral motor coordination reason. But there is something within the, the thoracolumbar fascia when it is not adaptable that things can, don't activate in this synchronous way. And that can, that affects the movement of the arm, that affects the movement of the leg, and then it affects the, the back itself. And there are, there's just so much literature on this particular area, but I can tell you from my own um, work with this, and I have classes where I, you know, I say things like we're mobilizing our fascia or just, or we're freeing the fascia. And um, it really feels like that because what we're trying to do is get the areas that are, have this in rigidity to them. Yes, the fascia is strong, but it, when it's so rigid, it feels like it's just not mobilizing over the tissues underneath it or around it. Then that's not adaptable. And the um, transmission of force or energy through that, especially in these bigger fascial planes like thoracodorsal, thoracolumbar plane, um, fascial area is so important. And what I've seen, and I'll end on this note, what I've seen, because I talk so much about the importance of the glutes, the glutes share fascial connections with the um, latissimus fascia, which is also part of this thoracolumbar um, fascia. When the glutes are really not firing readily, and it's a combination, it's not just that they're weak, they're not firing readily, and they're not firing in this like army of motor units kind of all recruited together going, you know, it's like a couple of them are showing up. And so when that, when they're not firing well, what I have seen is that there are in that fascial chain connection, other parts are getting called into play. And so low back in this, in this lumbar region, the fascia is really tight for the people. I mean, it just is. I don't know how else to describe it. It's the muscle underneath, but it's the fascia. It feels like it's just not going to allow the person to move. And I see this. So these are the people who love, like, like they love plow, for instance. <laughs> and I don't teach plow because I don't want to put any weight through my cervical vertebra into my into the um, disc there and to the, um, this wonderful thing called our spinal cord. Um, the cervical vertebra are, are thin and they're made to be mobile. They're not made to bear any of the weight. And I don't want to put any compressive forces there. So I don't teach plow. I don't teach headstand. But people love plow. And the reason they do is it feels this like sense of release for this thoracodorsal, um, thoraco, I, I'm, I'm interchanging this. So it's the same thing, thoracolumbar, thoracodorsal, the same. They feel this sense of relief there because think of it, it's from the back of the skull. So when you're in your plow and your chin is tucked in and you're rocked your leg, so plow for anybody, imagine legs are behind you, you're on your back, you swing your legs up in the air and then they go over to the floor behind you. So it's um, you're really hyperly flexing your neck and then loading the neck, uh, no matter what. I mean, it takes too much time to put your pillows. It's just weight bear the opposite way. Put the weight into your feet, bend your knees, lay your belly on your thighs, 
and let your head release there. And you will be getting the same sense. It's not going to, your body weight isn't going to be there, but instead what you're going to use is your core, your front anterior core to lift up and to open up that way. And you're getting the ground reaction force through the legs, up through that um, fascial connection into the glutes, into this thoracodorsal fascia. So try that instead of plow. And I promise you, it's better and healthier for everything. And, and, you know, weight bear through your feet. Don't weight bear through your neck. Okay, I'm already going over time here with the fascia discussion. I will talk about fascia more. I'd love to hear any questions you have. Know that it is being studied and new um, concepts about it are happening all the time. So approach it with an inquiring mind. And don't believe everything you hear and don't not believe it, but try some things out for yourself. What I find is movement, the way I move on the mat, the way I teach it, um, emphasizing alignment and emphasizing um, movement patterns that reinforce this good alignment, this good posture helps the feeling of fascial freedom and adaptability and makes you feel great. But if you go back and you sit down in a really poor posture and walk around a poor posture, it's going to just, you know, it's got, you have to reinforce it every single day. So please do that so that every part of your body benefits. Move well, move with me. Remember, you can find my classes every single day as a different class on my Lit Daily platform, which you can find on my website, movementbylara.com. If you have any questions, comments, or if you'd like to rate and review and subscribe, rate and review and take a picture of your um, rating, your review, and send it to podcast at movementbylara.com. We will send you a a free class link, but also send any questions there. I'm pulling for you all to keep moving and keep that fascia feeling lovely and adaptable, fluid, supple, and communicating well so that you can feel your best in life. Pulling for you, big hugs. Bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.